Hello, church family. It's good to be back with you online. I trust and pray that each of you are doing well. And I want to share this song with you today. It's a song written by Joel Hemphill. And it's entitled Master of the Wind. And I think it's just so applicable to what we're going through today. My boat of life sails on a troubled sea Whenever there's a wind in my sail But I have a friend who watches over me When the breeze turns into a gale I know the master of the wind I know the maker of the wind He can calm the storm Make the sun shine again I know the master of Sometimes I soar like an eagle to the sky Among the peaks my soul can be found An unexpected storm may drive me from the heights It might bring me low, but it cannot bring me down I know the master of the wind I know the maker of the rain He can calm the storm Make the sun shine again I know the master of the wind I know Let Jesus calm your storm And make the sun shine again He is the master of the wind Let's pray We're so grateful, Father that though the winds may howl and, and the waves may crash against us, though our world may seem lost in chaos and the circumstances around us seem so overwhelming, you are still in control of the storm. We're so grateful to be in the palm of your hand. With one word, you can speak peace to the wind and the waves, 
and we trust and hold on to the truth that though our skies may be dark for a time, the sun will shine again. We thank you, Father, for the hope that is only found in you. We pray now for your presence with us as we study your word. Encourage and challenge us this morning, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The city of San Francisco was destroyed in the spring of 1906 after a violent earthquake shook the city to the ground on Wednesday, April 18th. The infamous quake was certainly damaging, but a series of 2,700-degree fires lasting three days after the quake consumed or multiplied the damage. So overwhelming was the aftermath that many people simply left the city for good. 75,000 of the 400,000 San Franciscans left for nearby cities like Berkeley and Oakland. The remaining population, they stayed to turn devastation into opportunity. The damage was almost incomprehensible. Insurance claims calculated a total loss of $252 million. That's in 1906. Not including the destruction caused by the earthquake, since many policies didn't include that type of coverage. In today's money, that number equates to $6.2 billion. And back then, the amount was equal to the federal budget in 1906. Banks weren't functional for the six weeks following the quake, causing the city business needed to counterbalance the financial damage to come to a screeching halt. Some money was saved, but the bank's fire safes couldn't be accessed until the safes cooled a week later. San Franciscans had a choice to make, sulk or work. In order to save the city's place in the nation, the leading officials understood it had to be rebuilt quickly. And it was. Citizens were drafted to clear debris from the streets in the days following the quake, making the job more manageable for the professionals who dumped the rubble into Mission Bay. Skilled workers poured into the city, Within four days, there were already 300 plumbers ready to get to work. Buildings skyrocketed. 500 homes and 300 businesses were built within the year. By 1909, a staggering 20,000 buildings had been built in the recovering city. The officials and citizens of San Francisco had pulled off what seemed to be impossible. In just three years' time, the city had recovered from a devastating blow. Despite much difficulty, displaced San Franciscans of 1906 rallied together with the help of aid to pull off a modern miracle. Eugene Schmitz, mayor of San Francisco during the earthquake and the recovery, was quoted as saying, This great city will not be defined by a great tragedy, but instead by the rally and resolve that took place after the tragedy. We're going to focus on that weighty word today. And it's the title of our message, one word, after. Scripture is filled with times of storm and God's providence and shelter. But there is always an after. We can take heart in that. Today we're in the midst of a great storm. We're in the middle of a pandemic unlike any we've seen before in our generation. We're seeing social unrest, racial unrest, 
political unrest, a nation so bitterly divided, we find ourselves in the middle of a perfect storm. But we can take heart that there will be an after. God took Noah through days of the unknown, of ridicule, of building, of storm, and of shelter. But there was an after. For forty years the Israelites wandered the desert after fleeing Egypt, but they found shelter and providence in God. And their wandering would eventually end as after it they entered the promised land. Even in his disobedience, when he thought he was good as dead, Jonah found himself sheltered in the belly of a great fish. But there would be an after and a second chance. The Lord often shelters us during these storms of life. But praise God, there is an end to the storm and an after awaits us on the other side. That after can be a time of blessing, of growth, of action, and of challenge. And it's up to us to prepare our hearts now for what awaits after. Today we're going to look at, at three examples of what awaited individuals in the Bible after a time of storm and sheltering. And I think there's much we can learn from these lessons for how to prepare now for what comes after. So turn with me to our first text this morning. It's in Job, Job chapter 42 and verse 16. Here Job had just come through arguably the worst trial any single person had gone through in the Old Testament. He lost everything around him, his children, his cattle, his belongings, his health. But he never lost his faith in God. And now the trial was over and God removed the storm in his life. And verse 16 says, After this, Job lived a 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. Our first after today. After this comes restoration. God restored the children he had lost. God restored the cattle Job had lost. God restored tenfold all that Job had lost through his trial. And notice that the restoration always exceeds the loss. When God restores, he overgives. He gives back more than we lost. Can you imagine how Job felt toward his children and their children? Oh, he held them a little bit closer. He hugged them a little bit tighter. I can imagine he was more grateful than ever. It should drive us to our knees in gratitude for what God has given us. See, the truth of the matter is we are by nature not grateful creatures. We take a lot for granted, don't we? We overlook so many blessings until they're taken away. How many times did we take for granted the simple blessing of getting together with our friends and loved ones? How many times did we take for granted the simple blessing of coming to church and meeting with our church family? Warren Worsby, in his book, God Isn't in a Hurry, says, I felt for a long time that one of the particular temptations of the maturing Christian is the danger of getting accustomed to his blessings. 
Like the world traveler who has been everywhere and seen everything, the maturing Christian is in danger of taking his blessings for granted and getting so accustomed to them that they fail to excite him as they once did. Emerson said that if the stars came out only once a year, everybody would stay up all night to behold them. We have seen the stars so often that we don't bother to look at them anymore. We've grown accustomed to our blessings. The Israelites in the wilderness got accustomed to their blessings, and God had had to chasten the people in Numbers 11. God had fed the nation with heavenly manna each morning, and yet the people were getting tired of it. But now our whole being is dried up, they said. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Nothing but manna. They were experiencing a miracle of God's provision every morning, yet they were no longer excited about it. Nothing but manna. One of the evidences that we have grown accustomed to our blessings is this spirit of criticism and complaining. Instead of thanking God for what we have, we complain about it. We tell Him we wish we had something else. You can be sure that if God did give us what we asked for, we would eventually complain about that. The person who has gotten accustomed to his blessing can never be satisfied. Another evidence of this malady, Worsby says, is that the idea is there that others have a better situation than we do. The Israelites remembered their diet in Egypt and longed to return to the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. They were saying the people in Egypt are so much better off than we are. Obviously, they had forgotten the slavery that they had endured in Egypt and the terrible bondage from which God had delivered them. Slavery is a high price to pay for a change in diet. We've been guilty of that, haven't we? And the harsh reality of our lack of gratitude hits us smack in the face when those blessings that we've grown accustomed to are taken away. I tell you honestly, I will never again take for granted the privilege of coming to church for any meeting. It's going to be hard to complain that we're too tired, too weary, or too busy to get together to worship the Lord or study His Word. Loss makes us yearn for what we had and took for granted. And restoration makes it all that much sweeter. Joseph knew all about that. He was a head-in-the-clouds dreamer. And you get the sense that he overlooked the blessing of family, of having so many brothers. He told them all about his dreams of how he would be greater than they. But they turned on him, and God took him through a life-altering trial. He lost his family, his home, and his freedom, but he never lost his faith in God. And when God restored it all back to him and made him second in command of all of Egypt, what happened when the trial ended? What's the first thing he did? Take a look. Acts 7.14 tells us, After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. He wanted his family back desperately. That family that he may have never quite truly appreciated. He wanted it back. He realized what he lost and God restored his family back to him. He not only forgave his brothers for what they did, but he cherished them more than ever. He hugged them all the more tightly. He held them all the more closely. Restoration produces gratitude 
and makes us cherish all with which God has blessed us. During this time of storm and shelter, even as we're prevented from enjoying the blessings that we used to, may our hearts swell with gratitude for those things that we may have overlooked or taken for granted. There will be an after after this. And may we remember what life was like without those overlooked blessings. May we never take them for granted again. May our hearts be filled with thanksgiving for every little thing with which God has blessed us and privileged us. Amen. That's our first after this morning, restoration. Lord, may our hearts be filled with gratitude at all that you will restore to us after this. Our second after today is calling. Turn with me to our next text, Acts seven thirty to 36. Here we find Moses who had fled Egypt and its palace as a wanted felon. He had been sheltered in the Sinai desert leading a quiet life of, of solitude. And now the shelter was over and the after was here. Acts seven thirty to 36. After forty years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself. Through the angel who appeared to him in the bush, he led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. God had great plans for Moses. And the time had come after the storm of what he went through in Egypt, after the shelter in the desert for 40 years came the call. God had been preparing a leader. It took 40 years of isolation Forty years of the desert to take Moses out of Moses and prepare him to be filled with God and ready to serve him in a mighty way. God doesn't often call us to service when we're new believers, does he? No, why not? Well, because we're not hardened for service yet. Moses hadn't learned anything of God yet when he was living in the, in the palace of Egypt. He knew nothing of resilience, persistence, and perseverance. He hadn't experienced God's providence and protection yet. He knew nothing of a God who takes us through the storm and the shelter to prepare us for his service. And when that after comes and the call is clear to us, may we be ready to serve. As we're in the time of shelter right now, how do we prepare for that call? How do we prepare for that challenge? Well, we draw close to God. We soak up His Word so that we can go forward and give of ourselves. We empty ourselves of our vain ambitions and empty pursuits and we fill up on God's principles. 
and His desires for our lives. You see, we've been called for such a time as this, friend. We are the end-time generation. I strongly believe that we are a chosen generation to see the coming again of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The signs are, are all around us. Every day we're seeing them. And with that being said, we have to stay alert and stay close to God. This is the time to press on, to press on deeper in prayer, in fellowship with God, in reading of the Word, so that we'll be more sensitive to what God is calling us to do. And whatever it is, whatever He calls you to do, don't neglect or take for granted the most menial task or assignment in your life because it's His call. Whether it's being a prayer warrior, a Sunday school teacher, a a hospitality team member, Learn from your responsibilities, even if it's being called upon to pray with someone in need. Run an errand. Take on a new project. It's all a part of His call and His plan for your life. Remember, we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus in whatever capacity for which the Lord gives room. This time of shelter is part of God's training for us. God is training you. The tests trials, the heartaches, the good and bad times, from menial tasks to the largest ones, they're all a part of your preparation for what He's going to call you to do after this. Just walk with Him. Be led by the Holy Spirit's voice and obey to the smallest detail. And as you walk with Him, listen and obey. Trust that He's working everything out for your good and for His purpose. Romans 8.28 reassures us, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. The truth of the matter, and it's even truer in spiritual matters, is that success comes from preparation. You can't be ill-prepared and expect success. Likewise, if you see success, success at anything, A successful test, a successful project, a work assignment, a successful ministry or sermon, successfully overcoming a a habit you want to break, anything. Know that there was preparation behind it. You prepared, you worked, you planned, you read, you prayed, you practiced. Preparation begets success. If you want to be more successful at something, be more prepared. One pastor never prepared during the week. And on Sunday morning, he, he'd sit on the platform while the church was singing the, the opening hymn and he was desperately praying, Lord, give me your message. Lord, give me your message. Well, one Sunday while desperately praying for God's message, he heard the, he heard the Lord say, Ralph, here's my message. You're lazy. Let this time of shelter be a time of preparation for us. Get up. Don't waste this time. Study God's Word. Draw close to Him. Grow deeper in your prayer life. We want to be prepared. We want to be prepared because the after is coming. And God will call us to work for Him. We want to be prepared so that our hearts are ready. So that our work for Christ is fruitful. So that our efforts for Him can be successful. Amen. After this comes restoration. After this comes calling. And our third and final point today, after this comes growth. 
turn to Genesis chapter 15 for our final text. Here, Abram had just been through a storm and helped rescue his nephew Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah. And we read in verse 1, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. Wow. After a difficult trial, God brought blessings upon Abram. He would change his name to Abraham and make him the father of the nation of Israel. It was no longer a time of trial. It was no longer a season of storm. It was a time of growth and blessing. God promised and God delivered. At the age of 100, Abraham became a father to Isaac and God's promise would be fulfilled. From Abraham and then Isaac, heirs as numerous as the stars would come and the nation of Israel was born. God always keeps his promises. Abraham's faith was tested. It's hard to believe at the age of 190, a childless couple would bear their first child and out of that child father a nation. But faith is exactly what's needed after the storm and after the shelter. God is ready to fulfill. God is ready to bless. God is ready to grow us. We have to place our trust and our faith in Him for His plans. So often when we come out of something traumatic, we've, we've got our own plans and agendas, right? We've got a, a bucket list of pursuits. I better get to it, right? Don't we? But God has other plans. Abraham was planning on making a servant in his household his heir, but God had something far better in mind. If I were to tell you that God has even better plans, would you believe it? It's hard to sometimes. It's hard to, to set our plans aside and follow God, trusting that his plans are better for us. But they are. Abraham was ready to give up on his dream and, and retire in the sun. He had no idea that he'd be raising a newborn at the age of 100. But God had other plans. May we trust him enough to accept his plan, which yields growth and blessing, far greater blessings than we could imagine. His blessings are always bigger than our pursuits. Do you believe that? A young boy went to the local store with his mother. The shop owner, a kindly man, passed him a large jar of candy and invited him to help himself to a handful. Uncharacteristically, the boy held back. So the shop owner pulled out a handful for him. Well, when outside, the boy's mother asked why he had suddenly been so shy and, and wouldn't take a handful of candy when offered. The boy replied, because his hand is much bigger than mine. The smart kid. Let God do the picking for you. Let God do the planning for you. 
Let God do the choosing for you. Prepare for His blessings by yielding your will to His plan. His blessings are always bigger. Amen? Trust Him. Trust Him in the waiting and in the storm and in the shelter. We trust because we know that after this, the blessing will come. After this, the growth will begin. Hold on, dear friend. The storm is but for a little while, and God has so much more prepared for us after this. In the meantime, He will uphold us. In the meantime, we throw ourselves upon His grace and mercy to carry us. Charles Spurgeon told of an evening when he was riding home after a heavy day's work. He felt weary and depressed when as suddenly as a lightning flash he thought of 2 Corinthians 12.9, My grace is sufficient for thee. He said, I should think it is, Lord, and burst out laughing. He said that it seemed to make unbelief so absurd. It was as though some little fish, being very thirsty, was troubled about drinking the river dry. And the river said, Drink away, little fish. My stream is sufficient for thee. Or it seemed, after the seven years of plenty, a mouse feared that it would die of famine. And Joseph might say, Cheer up, little mouse. My granaries are sufficient for thee. Or a man away up on a mountain saying to himself, I fear I shall exhaust all the oxygen in the atmosphere. But the earth might say, Breathe away, O man, and fill thy lungs ever. My atmosphere is sufficient for thee. Little faith will bring our souls to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to us. May we exercise our faith for his providence and for his promise. His blessings will come, and the season of trial and shelter will turn to a season of growth. After this, after this, are you ready for that after? After this, we trust that God will bring restoration, calling, and growth, both for each one of us individually and for us corporately as a church. God will restore what we've lost and restore even more than what was. God will bring a fresh call to action, a calling to serve Him and serve one another, to give of ourselves for the advancement of His kingdom. And God will bring a new season of growth, spiritual growth in each one of us, and growth in the salvation of new souls. I believe that. May we be prepared for all that is to come. May we fill our hearts with gratitude for what He will restore. May we draw ever closer to Him and prepare ourselves to be used by Him in a new and fresh way. And may we rest and trust Him for His perfect plan, which yields His perfect blessings. Amen? Let's ready our hearts. Let's prepare our hearts for what comes after this. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today as we're in the midst of a trial. We're sheltered and we're isolated, but our eyes are ever on you. We know, Father, that this is only for a little while. We know that there will be an after after this. We trust that you will bring restoration to us, Lord. Give us hearts of gratitude to never overlook or take for granted that which you will restore. 
we trust that you will call us to serve you. Help us to draw closer to you and to fill our souls with your word in preparation for that calling. And we trust that you will bless us and bring a new season of growth. Help us to place our faith in your plan for us, even when we don't see or understand it. Lord, we're so grateful to be in your care. Whatever we go through, we rest knowing that you are there with us, carrying us through. We trust you in the storm. We lean on you in the shelter. And we hope in you for what will come after this. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.